good morning, Chevrolet Baptist Church. Uh, as Pastor John said, my name is Ben Lacey, and one of the pastors at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and it is a real privilege to be with you guys this morning. Uh, thank you so much for having me. We are so grateful for Chevrolet. Mainly when I check my kids in on Sunday morning, it's much easier now with all the kids here at Chevrolet. That's what I've heard rumors about that back in the day. So uh, thankful for you guys. Continue to pray for you. Thankful for your witness here in this community. Uh, but as we start today, as we think about Jonah, I have a question that I would like for you to consider. It's this. Have you ever had an experience in your life that you would consider miraculous? Like never happened before, kind of crazy, and you don't know how to explain it. There was one time when I was a kid, probably about seven or eight years old, we were living in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, they were like giving away a house. These new builders were giving away a house, and so everyone in, it felt like Alabama was going. And uh, so we went, and as we were walking up this hill to go see this giveaway, uh, there were rocks along the road as we were walking up. And as a good little boy, I decided I should throw those rocks. And God made me to throw rocks, and so I was picking them up, and I was throwing them into the woods. And my dad said, Ben, don't, don't do that. Don't throw any more rocks. So I, I, I threw another rock. And then he said, don't, don't throw another rock. I threw one more. And he's like, if you throw another rock, you're going to be in serious trouble. So I, I had one more that it was like that God had foreordained that rock to be in my hand. Like it was meant to be thrown as hard as I could into the woods. And so I let my dad go up a little bit further. And I just rear back and I throw it as hard as I can into the woods, like way over there. And as I throw it, I'm walking off and I hear like this loud knock. It hits a tree and then it ricochets off a tree and it lands on a car windshield. Now, to make this story more interesting, it wasn't just any car windshield. It happened to be our car windshield. What is the probability and the likelihood of that ever happening again? 30 yards behind us, some eight-year-old kid throws a rock, ricochets it off a tree, and lands on his own car windshield. Uh, I would later regret that decision uh, that I had there. But oftentimes, as we hear that story, my family tells it all the time, it's easy to marvel at a miracle, to get fixated on a miracle, like how did that happen and could it ever happen again? And we need to ask the question of why did it happen? There's often the temptation as we read the Bible, as we encounter these great miracles, these events that took place that are uh, unexplainable. And it's easy to get fixated on the miracle of like, man, that's crazy that that happened. I wish I could have been there and seen that happen. As we read about stories of Moses leading God's people out of Egypt or Noah and the flood or even today Jonah and the great fish. And we don't need to marvel at the miracle but we need to marvel at the God of the miracle. That's the point of these stories, is ultimately to tell us about who God is, who we are, and what he's doing in the world. I think that's the point of Jonah here today. So, If you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and grab them and turn to the book of Jonah. If you have a, a chair Bible right beside you, it's on page 774. 774. Uh, it's after Obadiah and before Micah. It's right there sandwiched right in the middle of your Bible, page 774. And so the way that I'm gonna break this down today is we're gonna read a few verses at a time. So we're gonna read the first three verses of Jonah 1 and I'll break it down and explain it and we'll read a little bit of the time and I'll explain it and, and talk about some of it. So first three verses of Jonah chapter one. This is what Spirit writes through Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
So I want to zoom out real quick and kind of help us understand where we are in the Bible and what's actually going on. I know you guys have been studying through the book of Genesis. We see that Genesis is helping us understand who God is and what he's doing in the world through his people. We see Adam and Eve rebel against God, and we see God to make, makes a promise that he's going to redeem these people, uh, that he'll provide someone who will crush the serpent's head. We see also the promise in Genesis chapter 12 that God is creating a people for himself. He makes that promise to Abraham. So the, the rest of the Old Testament is just explaining how that happens. Later on, God provides a king, and yet Israel still rebels. But God divides the kingdom after Solomon. So Jonah, at some point, is a prophet after that time. He was a, he was a prophet to, to Jeroboam II. We see he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14, verses 23 through 27. He was a prophet to Jeroboam II. Jeroboam was not a good man. It says he, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and yet God spared them in spite of them. God was merciful to them because he is a gracious and kind God. He's continued to, to save a people for himself. And so this is what God is doing through Jonah as well. And so today, what we're going to see in and through Jonah chapter 1 and 2 is this. This is kind of my main thesis of today that God cannot be stopped in his pursuit to save sinners. God cannot be stopped in his pursuit to save sinners. And so what we'll do today, what I'm going to do, is take each one, part of that sentence and make that my outline. So the first point is this. We're going to see this in Jonah, verses one, or Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that God pursues sinners. God pursues sinners. We see this in the first few verses, that God speaks to Jonah, and he says, go to Nineveh, that great city, for their evil has come upon me. Anytime that, that God seeks to save a people for himself, he always sends a messenger with a message. What we see here, God has found his messenger, that is Jonah, and he wants him to go to a specific people, and he has a message that he wants to give them. We see later in chapter 3 that the message that God wants to give them isn't just judgment. It's judgment, it's a warning of judgment, so they might receive mercy and repentance. This is who our God is. He's not just a God that, that judges, he's a God that judges and also provides mercy. He's here, he's seeking to provide mercy to these people. They're rebels against him, they're doing great evil, and yet God is seeking to extend mercy to them. This is what God has done from the beginning. God, in his desire to save a people for himself, has set apart a person or a people to share his message of hope with the world. I mean, just think about even before the fall in the Garden of Eden, God gives this command to Adam to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the way the story reads, the way Genesis 2 reads, is that Eve was not even around yet. So it was Adam's responsibility to say, Eve, this is how we will live in God's world. We see that later on, that, that God raises up Moses to go and, and share with Pharaoh. And Moses says, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. What does God say? I, I have a message that I will give you. We see that time and time again. We see and when Jesus has resurrected and he, before he ascends, what does he say to the disciples? Hey, you're going to go be my witnesses, and you're going to teach them all that I've taught you. God, is, his message of mercy and repentance has been entrusted to a people. Well, who is that today? Is it mainly just pastors and missionaries? No, it's us. God has entrusted this message to us. So for the kids in the room, I don't know if you're big into superheroes, but I, I used to love superheroes. As a matter of fact, I still kind of do, right? Disney just keeps putting out the movies, and I'll just keep watching them because I so enjoy them at times. But sometimes we're tempted to see that the people that God used in the Bible is almost like these Avengers of evangelism, that they were like superheroes, and they had like superhuman strength. But the reality is they're just like you and me. They're frail. They're, they're weak. They, they stumble, and they stutter. 
They're fearful. They fear man. And yet God chose them not because they are special. He chose them because he is special. And he gives them what they need to go share the gospel. The message that he's given them has power in it. He calls them to go and he equips them to do that. So today, do you feel weak and frail in your evangelism? Do you feel like you try and it's just like, I just try to get in the conversation. It's awkward and it's difficult. Well, if that's you, then, then join the club. And in this club, you'll find Moses, you'll find Esther, you'll find Peter, and you'll find Paul. We're all people who've been redeemed by the grace of God and have been entrusted with a life-changing message that God is redeeming a people unto himself. That's what God is doing here with Jonah. We also see specifically that not only God sends out people with a message, he sends them to a specific people. Notice here, where does God want Jonah to go? He wants them to go to Nineveh. Now, this isn't just some ordinary city. This is a strategic city because Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. If you know anything about your Bibles, uh, Assyria is one of the greatest enemies of Israel during this time. Israelites hated Assyria, and later God would use Assyria to discipline them for their rebellion against him. In 722 BC, he would send them in to exile them. Though they are Gentiles and they're enemies of God's people, God has chosen to show compassion upon them And he's chosen Jonah to be the one to extend this mercy. But notice what Jonah does here. Does Jonah say, yep, Lord, I got it. I'm ready to go. Thank you for entrusting me with this responsibility. I'm going to go. No, he he flees. Just notice the trend. He just continues to go down. He, He goes down to Tarshish, and he goes down into the boat. He's just trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's running away completely. Was it because Jonah was afraid? He was timid of what the Assyrians might do to him. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Look in your Bible to Jonah 4, verse 2. We'll skip ahead. This is after Jonah goes and he preaches the gospel to the Assyrians. This is what Jonah prays. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not this while I said when I was uh, yet in my country that is, uh, that is I, excuse me, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? It's because he hated Nineveh. He knew that if he went and he preached about repentance to these people, these wicked people, he knew that his God would be gracious and forgiving them if they would turn. Jonah didn't go because he did not want to see Assyria receive God's mercy. I just have a question for you to consider today. We're having a moment of honesty. Who's the Nineveh in your life? Who is the Assyria in your life? And I'm not using this hermeneutic like the David and Goliath thing that's completely different. I'm not saying you need to slay Assyria. I'm just saying you need to share the gospel with Assyria. See, there's real people in our lives that we are tempted to hate And specifically, I think these last two years have heightened that just a little bit. Who are the the people in your life that when you see them, you don't want to pray for them. You just want to see them experience God's judgment, not his mercy. You are all tempted in this cancel culture, not to want to win people over, but to write them off. This is not who our, our God is. He's not written us off. The only thing God has canceled is our debt that stood against him. And we get to be those people who get to extend this grace and mercy towards them. Or maybe for you, there's not a people that you hate, 
but there are people in your life that you think they are so far gone. They have sinned so greatly. They've made decisions. They are so far away from God that not even God could save them. If I'm being honest with you, that's probably my temptation. Not to hate people, but just to think, man, there's people in my life, I just, I don't know if they could ever come to faith in Christ. I think Jonah, this message of Jonah is a direct rebuke to that kind of thinking. There's no one outside the grace of God. If there's still breath in their lungs, God can still get saved them. That's the story of Jonah. And we have to be careful as we do live in this cancel culture that we are not tempted to embrace Jonah's perspective. We need to daily cling to the cross and remember that if we did not, if we want to awaken from our sins, if God not has, had God not had sent someone to preach the gospel to us, we'd still be dead in our sins. No good in us, it's only the good that God has done to us. So praise God for the good work he's done in and through us and let's seek to extend that mercy to those that are difficult to love. There's Christians throughout history that have exemplified this. Many of you could probably name a few. The the two that came to my mind as I was thinking about Jonah were uh, Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint. Many of us know their stories. They were uh, missionary families that moved down to Ecuador. Uh, Specifically, they were trying to reach a people group that was very hostile to the gospel in particular. And so they finally had connected to this people group called the Alcas. They were making good inroads. They were thinking they were going to finally get to share the gospel with these people. And almost 66 years ago, over 66 years ago, five men, Jim and Nate, uh, Elizabeth and Rachel's husbands, encountered the Alca people on a Sunday morning, thinking that this might be the opportunity to share the gospel with them, but actually ended up costing their lives. Each one of those five men were murdered that day. But how did the wives respond? Did they flee? They moved back to the States because they were fearful and angry of, of these people? No, they did quite the opposite. Two years later, they began to live with the Alka people. They began to read the Bible to them. They began to share the gospel with them. And one of the very first converts they saw was the very man who murdered Nate Saint. See, we would have all probably have comforted these sisters if they would just left. So you know what, your husbands have been murdered, come home. But they did quite the opposite. See, they had been so affected by the mercy of God that all they could think about doing was extending the mercy to God, even to those they were tempted to probably hate. That's what God calls us to be, and this is what Jonah completely missed. Jonah is an example of what not to be today. Jonah was a hoarder of God's grace, and he didn't want anyone else to experience God's grace but his own people. And if you read about who they were in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27, it is very clear that the only reason they had life was because God was being merciful to them. There was nothing good in them. God had set them apart to display his goodness and glory to the nations, and they had failed to do so. And yet God was merciful in spite of their failures. So how do we handle this situation when there's people in our lives we're tempted to hate? Are people in our lives we're tempted to believe that they cannot be saved? Don't flee from God, run to God. The, the best place to work this out is not on our own, but with the Lord in prayer. We should often also take these thoughts to the cross daily, reminding ourselves of what, if, if God has done this miracle to us, he can do it to anyone else around us. So we see here in the first three verses that God, he's pursuing sinners. He's pursuing sinners, not only Jonah, but also Nineveh. Point two is this, God's pursuit cannot be stopped. Point two, God's pursuit cannot be stopped. We'll see this specifically in verses four through 14. Let's read now. It says this, but the Lord hurled a a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea 
so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to them, said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? What, what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. So we don't really know Jonah's motive ultimately right now, as in this part of the story of why he's fleeing. Really, was it because he was seeking to thwart the will of God? He thought, if I run, then God won't be merciful to these people? Or he's thinking, you know what, I'm just not going to be the messenger. God can find another prophet in Israel. I'm not going to be the one to do it. Regardless, he simply had miscalculated that there was no place that he could flee from God. That every part of creation is the Lord's. There's no place to hide. You cannot flee God's presence. God is showing Jonah and all of us today that what he has purposed, he will bring about. No doubt about it. In verses 4 through 14, we see the intensity and the relentless nature of God in his pursuit to save sinners. We see all over these verses God's providential hand. I mean, just look here that God is completely sovereign over the sea. We see in verse 3 that, that Jonah, had, he goes as far as he can, but look what happens in verse 4. It says, the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. See, Jonah was seeking refuge in the sea. He thought it was a safe place. He thought the sea would be his ally in fleeing from God. But it turns out that the sea was more loyal and obedient to God than Jonah was. At the command of God, the wind begins to blow and waves begin to crash against the boat, so much so that the boat almost breaks into pieces. These mariners were terrified, and they begin throwing cargo overboard. They knew that they needed something greater than themselves to save them. They needed a God to help them. I don't know everyone in the room, so I don't know if everyone's a Christian, but if you're, if you're, a, if you're someone who's here and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, super thankful that you're here. I'm so encouraged that you would come and hear the word of God preached. I just have a question for you to consider today is this. In the most difficult times of your life, when life is not going the way you want, where, where do you turn? Where do you look for salvation? Where do you look for help? What will save you in the darkest hour of your life? These mariners here, they're, they're looking for things, but they're looking in the wrong place. But God was merciful to show them where to look. Sea keeps raging on, last-ditch effort. They do everything they can to, to unload uh, 
the, the, the boat so that it continued to go on, and they realized that there is a man that is sleeping down in the boat. And I hope that I have Jonah's sleeping skills in a couple of months when we had this newborn baby. I just hope I can sleep through everything, right? He's down there sleeping, and they're stunned. When they wake him up, Jonah knew what the problem was. See, God was after Jonah, and God always gets his man. Notice here also, he's not just sovereign over the sea, he's sovereign over the dice. Look here uh, in verse seven. They begin to cast lots. Cast lots was something that they would do often to discern what is the will of God. He had three answers, yes, no, and roll again. And it was Jonah's unlucky turn that he was the first one up. I imagine he leaned over to the pagan Job and was like, hey, how do you feel about your chances? And Jonah's like, I'm not feeling great. He knew it was going to land on him. Are you noticing a trend throughout Jonah, these first few verses? That there's no coincidences with God. There are no accidents with the Lord. Like even notice here that once it begins to fall, once the, the lot is fell on Jonah, what happens? That God is even sovereign over the crew. Verses eight through 11, we see questions of like, hey, why does this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? What are your people? Meaning, what is your God? Just think about the irony of this. Jonah fled, and he did not want to go to Nineveh. He's running as far away as he can, so he does not have to preach to pagans. And God ordains the circumstances in such a way that Jonah has to preach anyway. Jonah cannot flee from this task that God has given him. What Jonah meant for evil, God meant for good. Jonah flees, and yet God says, you will preach. I've entrusted with you a message, and you will preach it, and people will hear, and they will respond. I imagine there's some people here today that maybe you, in your life, of this, your, you know, years ago or even now, you've made bad decisions, and you feel like maybe I've just messed up so greatly the Lord cannot continue to use me. Or maybe in your life you're here and you're responding to someone else's bad decisions, and your, your life has been affected by your decisions or someone else. Let me just say, if you still have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. Your life and your story is not irredeemable. Sometimes the deepest scars preach the best sermons. But continue to trust God. Walk in, in holiness, walk in honesty and transparency, and continue to wait on the Lord. Use every circumstance, every season that the Lord gives you for good so that others might hear of God's good work in you and they might glory, glorify him. Working all things out, even our weak moments and mistakes for our good and his glory. So in the providence of God and the mercy of God, these mariners hear about the one true God, about the, the God of the sea and the dry land, and they are terrified and they would, they're shocked that Jonah would flee from this God. Jonah instructs the men, here we see, look, this is because of me. To, to end the storm, you must throw me overboard. But the men become like Jonah. They begin to, to, to row against the ocean and they realize that they are no match for this relentless God. They realize that that this God is real and serious. And so they're afraid that if, if Jonah is lying and they throw this man overboard, God is going to hold them account for shedding innocent blood. But what's interesting, look at verse 14, and this has gotta be one of the main points why God inspired this. Verse 14 says this, these mariners, they cry out to the Lord, like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do what this man says, and we trust you because, oh Lord, you have done as it has pleased you. I just think that's fascinating, that's their response, that, they realize that this God cannot be stopped and all that he pleases to do, he will do. They echo the, the Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. So why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? Because it pleased the Lord. Why did Jonah rebel against God? Because it, God allowed him to do that so these mariners could hear the gospel. Our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. 
All that he pleases to do, he will do. And God is showing Jonah, these Ninevites, these mariners, and even us, that our view of God and his mercy is far too small. He is far bigger, far stronger, far more providential in all the workings of our lives than we realize. It's like this, my one of the things we do at night with our daughters is we love to read to them, and we've recently started reading the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And a couple of months ago, we kind of finished up Prince Caspian. How many of you read Prince Caspian? Anybody? Yeah, such a great book. And so there's that scene that happens where they're walking in the woods, and, and Lucy has these visions where she, where she thinks she sees Aslan. And so one night she wakes up, and she thinks she sees him again. She, she goes after him, and she finally encounters him again. You remember what happens? There's this kind of a this kind of arresting moment that happens there. She speaks up, she hugs him, she's so excited, and she says this, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Aslan says this, that is because you are older, little one. Not because you are, said Lucy. Aslan says this, I'm not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I think that's what God is showing us here. I think it's what God is showing Jonah, that he's far, God is saying, I'm far bigger than you realize. I'm far more stronger far more powerful and far more compassionate, far more compassionate than you ever imagined. Do you believe that today? That this is who our God is? This is what he's doing in the world? He is a gracious and mighty God, and he will not be stopped in his pursuit to save a people for himself. And this for us as Christians is a, a goldmine of encouragement and comfort, specifically for parents with, with children who are not yet Christians. Continue to preach and share the gospel, even if they're in your house or outside of your house. What this should show us is that God can use any circumstance in someone's life to bring them to repentance. So continue to pray and continue to pursue them and just trust that God is able to save. He's able to do so. For those of you who are discouraged by the state of things in the world, maybe you're anxious about the, the state of our country or the state of kind of this war and other things that are going on as we were praying about earlier, the polarization, racial strife, political strife. Find encouragement and comfort that God is not going to be stopped in saving people. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against him. He's going to do it. So we see that God is pursuing sinners and that his pursuit will not be stopped. This brings me to my last point. God pursues to save. God pursues to save. So we're gonna read verses 15 through 17 of chapter one. And I'll explain it and we'll pick up in chapter two. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says this. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to follow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah, we see here, he, he counsels the men, look, the only way you live is if I, basically if I die. If you throw me overboard, that is the way that you can save your life. Men finally listen and they do it. They fear the Lord. They begin to worship him. Notice the transition. They're worshiping other gods and yet God puts Jonah in their life and they begin to worship the one true God. See those circumstances, God worked them out in such a way. So here we, we see that, that Jonah flees, God pursues, and God finally gets him. But why did God appoint this great fish as we see in verse 17? Why did he do it? Was he just wanting to bring judgment to say, Jonah, this is, your, this is your last chance. Your life is over. No, God was not bringing judgment. God was being merciful in sending this fish to Jonah. You see, because in sending that fish, Jonah would be spat out on the beach 
And Jonah would later go preach the gospel to a people who would repent. Yes, the fish is in some way God's judgment, but it's also God's judgment to extend God's mercy. And just think about the love that God has for Jonah here. Think about the love that God has for the Ninevites, that he would ordain the circumstances in such a way that he's saying, Jonah, I'm not gonna let you die in the sea. I'm going to rescue you. Though you may be dead for a few days, I will bring you back to life so that you can preach the good news and so others may hear of me. Think about God's love for his people. And to see the, the imagery, do you see the imagery of Christ here? You see this? I mean, no, it wasn't Jesus running from God and he did not cause the, sin, or the storm of sin and death in our life, that was Adam. But Christ entered the boat that is our lives to tell us how we could know the God of heaven and earth. Christ came to end the storm. Christ entered the boat so that we could have life and he was cast overboard so that we could have life as well. The fish was appointed by God for Jonah's deliverance and God appointed Christ's death for our deliverance. Jesus was swallowed up by death so that death would be swallowed up forever. You see this all throughout Jonah. Ultimately, Jonah is a, is a picture of things to come, that Christ would come and he would deliver us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. But the good news is death had no choice but to give Jesus up. Just like Jonah with this fish, the fish has to spit him up because God said so. You remember Jesus' commentary on Jonah? The Pharisees, they, they demand a sign. They wanna see a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew 12, verse 38 through 41, Jesus tells them, the only sign that will be given to you is what? The sign of, of Jonah. Again, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're looking for a sign. How do I know that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, that sign has already happened. Jesus is risen from the dead. And if you will repent and believe in him, you will find eternal life in his name. You will find salvation in him. This is what happens. Jonah is swallowed up and it's a mercy towards, towards Jonah. Let's read what happens here. Jonah chapter two, verses one through 10 here. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I, <clears throat> then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to make my life, to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head in the roots of the mountains, at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon, upon, upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You have to wonder. We get a, we get a little glimpse of what Jonah was thinking here in the belly of this fish. You just have to wonder what, what was going on in his mind. You think Jonah thought maybe he had outsinned the grace of God, that God was done with him? You think that, that Jonah thought, my, my life is over, I'm getting what I deserve? Clearly, as you read chapter one, it's mixed reviews of how to read Jonah and how to interpret Jonah, but clearly here in uh, verses 12 of chapter one, he, he realizes 
this sin that I have committed is causing other people harm. I deserve to be thrown overboard. I deserve to die. And yet God in his mercy, he saves Jonah. Not only for Jonah's sake, but for others' sake as well. And this is really the message of the entire Bible. We find it in verse nine, that salvation belongs to the Lord. That God has revealed himself to us so that we might know him and be his people forever. That's the message that we see today. That's the heart of Jonah. And we see that God saves Jonah really for two reasons. God has mercy towards him and Nineveh for, for two reasons. One, I think is praise. You see here in the belly of the fish that, that, that Jonah, he begins to praise God for his salvation. Clearly, Jonah, as you read it, the imagery of chapter two is this, that I'm dead. I mean, death had encompassed me. When he's, when he's talking about being in the water, the, the roots of the mountains, the, the bars had closed upon me forever. He's saying, I was good as six feet under. And yet you, you heard me. Yet you, you saved me. Why? So that Jonah might praise the Lord. So that other people, so that the nations might rejoice in the Lord. That's part of why God saves us. So we would praise him and his glory forever. So how are you doing thanking God for his mercy in your life? This past week, what were you more aware of? What you don't have? Your possessions, your positions, and relationships? Or what you do have in Christ? What marked your life this week, grumbling or, or rejoicing in the Lord? I don't, I don't know about you, but I just want to be marked as someone who's really happy in Jesus, like who's never recovered for what Jesus did for me. I mean, how cool would it be if people like, who don't know Jesus like, came to your church, like, yeah, they meet in the school, but they're just really happy in Jesus, so I just keep coming back. Like, I, I pray that Capitol Hill will be marked by that, not by we're the Capitol Hill Baptist Church, but man, they, we just, we've never recovered from what Jesus has done for us. That's the kind of person that I want to be. That's what I pray that, that Chevrolet Baptist would be, people who are always, continually happy in Jesus. See, when you rightly understand, when you rightly understand what God has done for you, it recalibrates and shapes how you view your life completely. Not only has God saved us to praise him, but God has saved us to proclaim what he's done in our lives to others. To hear God speaks to the fish, the fish vomits up Jonah on dry ground. We'll see later that God sends Jonah again to Nineveh. You know the story potentially, but Nineveh, they, they do repent. God does not bring judgment, bring salvation to them. Jonah doesn't run from God, he, he runs to God, and he runs to God's will, and he preaches the gospel. You see, that's why God has saved you, so that you might tell others what he's done in your life. Like story in John 9, the man who is blind, those Pharisees come after him and wanting to know, is Jesus really who he says he is? And all he says is, I don't know is this, I once was blind and now I see. That's what we should do every single day people around us. I can't explain everything that God is doing in the world. I know this is that he's brought me from death to life. And you can find salvation in his name. Part of being a Christian, part of being a Christian is helping other people understand what it means to be a Christian. That's the natural response. It's hard, it's difficult, but it is a privilege to tell other people how they, they can experience the grace and the mercy of God. How are you doing in your evangelism? I need to ask myself that question every week because I will put it on the back burner. But it is a privilege that we get as Christians to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with others. Pray for that as a congregation. Pray for opportunities this week that God would put people in your life that you might share the hope of Christ with them. So in conclusion, we started this morning talking about miracles, that we shouldn't marvel at the miracle in and of itself, but we should marvel at the God of the miracle. What have we learned about God in Jonah, in the story? that he really is merciful and he's gracious. 
He's working all things out to bring a people to himself for all eternity. What have we learned about Jonah? That we, like people, have experienced God's mercy. He's called us to extend that mercy to other people. We should be people who always remember what God saved us from and what he has saved us for. It was a miracle that happened in Jonah's life to tell, tell us about who God is, what he's doing in the world, and what he's doing in our own lives. And there was this situation that happened that kind of reminded me as I was initially preparing the sermon of a situation that happened back in December. I'm from the Dallas area, and uh, there was a police officer named Richard Houston that was responding to a circumstance, and he was shot and killed. And at his funeral, on uh, this, like, a few weeks after that, his daughter Shelby said this at his funeral. He was a believer, and this is what his daughter said. Maybe you saw this on Twitter. She said this, there has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any of my heart, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if this man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I would get to spend time with this man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, but to simply tell him about Jesus. Can you imagine 18 years old, losing your dad. And the man who did that, all you want to do is just share the hope of Jesus Christ with him. Easy to marvel at this girl, but we need to marvel at the God of this girl. He has done something miraculous in, his, in her life. He's done the same in us. It doesn't require extraordinary circumstances to show that. There are people around us every single day who are running from God, who desperately need to hear about who this God is and what he's hoping to do in their life. Father in heaven, we, we come before you and praise you as a merciful God. Lord, all that we have, we have received from you. There's nothing good in us, nothing valuable about us that you might save us. But we've been saved by your mercy. Thank you, Father. Lord, I, I pray that each one of us in this room today would never get over what you've done for us in Jesus. I pray that our lives would be marked by joy and boldness. Lord, increase our faith. Fill us with your spirit, Father. Lord, we pray for those among us who don't know you, even the children, the teenagers, or anyone here who's never trusted in Christ, that they would experience this mercy that Jonah experienced, that they would know and trust in you. Father, we thank you that you are pursuing a people for yourself, and you will not be stopped in your pursuit. Continue to glorify yourself as you draw people. Fill us with your spirit, we know. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.